Book 2, chapters 11 through 15 of Against Juvenianus by St. Jerome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hippocrates, in his Aforums, teaches that stout persons of a coarse habit of body, when once they have attained their full growth, unless the philathra be quickly relieved by bloodletting, develop tendencies to paralysis and the worst forms of disease. They must therefore be bled, that there may be room for fresh growth, for it is not the nature of our bodies to continue in one stay, but go either to increase or decrease, and no animal can live which is incapable of growth. Whence Galen, a very learned man, and a commentator on Hippocrates, says in his exhortation to the practice of medicine, that athletes whose whole life and art consist in stuffing cannot live long nor be healthy, and that their souls enveloped with superfluous blood and fat, and, as it were, covered with mud, have no refined or heavenly thoughts, but are always intent upon gluttonous and voracious feasting. Diogenes maintains that tyrants do not bring about revolutions in cities and foment wars civil or foreign for the sake of a simple diet of vegetables and fruit but for costly meats and the delicacies of the table. And strange to say, Epicurus, the defender of pleasure, in all his books speaks of nothing but vegetables and fruits. And he says that we ought to live on cheap food because the preparation of sumptuous banquets of flesh involves great care and suffering. And greater pains attend the search for such delicacies than pleasures the consumption of them. Our bodies need only something to eat and drink. Where there is bread and water and the like, nature is satisfied. Whatever more there may be does not go to meet the wants of life, but are ministers to voracious pleasure. Eating and drinking does not quench the longing for luxuries, but appeases hunger and thirst. Persons who feed on flesh want also gratifications not found in flesh. But they who adopt a simple diet do not look for flesh. Further, we cannot devote ourselves to wisdom if our thoughts are running on a well-laden table, the supply of which requires an excess of work and anxiety. The wants of nature are soon satisfied. Cold and hunger can be banished with simple food and clothing. Hence the apostle says, Having food and clothing, let us be therewith content. Delicacies and various dishes of the feast are the nurses of avarice the soul greatly exalts when you are content with little you have the world beneath your feet you can exchange all its power its feasts and its lusts the objects for which men rake money together for common food and make up for them all with a sackcloth shirt take away the luxurious feasting and the gratification of lust and no one will want riches to be used either in the belly or beneath it the invalid only regains his health by diminishing and carefully selecting his food, i.e., in medical phrase, by adopting a slender diet. The same food that recovers health can preserve it, for no one can imagine vegetables to be the cause of disease. And vegetables do not give the strength of Milo of Crotona, a strength supplied and nourished by meat. What need has a wise man and a Christian philosopher of such strength as is required by athletes and soldiers? and which, if he had it, would only stimulate to vice. Let those persons deem meat accordant with health, 
who wish to gratify their lust, and who, sunk in filthy pleasure, are always at heat. But what a Christian wants is health, but not superfluous strength, and it ought not to disturb us if we find but few supporters. For the pure and temperate are as rare as good and faithful friends, and virtue is always scarce. Study the temperance of Fabricus, or the poverty of Curius, and in your great city you will find few worthy of your imitation. You need not fear that if you do not eat flesh, fowlers and hunters will have learnt their craft in vain. We have read that some who suffered with disease of joints and with gouty humors recovered their health by prescribing delicacies and coming down to a simple board and mean food, for they were then free from the worry of managing a house and from unlimited feasting. Horace makes fun of the longing for food, which when eaten leaves nothing but regret. Scorn pleasure, she but hurts when bought with pain. And when, in the delightful retirement of the country, by way of satirizing voluptuous men, he described himself as plump and fat, his sportive verse ran thus, Pay me a visit if you want to laugh. You'll find me fat and sleek, with well-dressed hide, like any pig from Epicurus's sty. But even if our food be the commonest, we must avoid repletion, for nothing is so destructive to the mind as a full belly, fermenting like a wine vat, and giving forth its gases on all sides. What sort of fasting is it? Or what sort of refreshment is there after fasting, when we are blown out with yesterday's dinner, and our stomach is made a factory for the closet? We wish to get credit for protracted abstinence, and all the while we devour so much that a day and night can scarcely digest it. The proper name to give it is not fasting, but rather debauch and rank indigestion. Dicurchus, in his Book of Antiquities, describing Greece, relates that under Saturn, that is, in the Golden Age, when the ground brought forth all things abundantly, no one ate flesh, but everyone lived on field produce, and fruits which the earth bore of itself. Xenophon, in eight books, narrates the life of Cyrus, king of the Persians, and asserts that they supported life on barley, cress, salt, and black bread. Both the aforesaid Xenophon, Theophratus, and almost all the Greek writers testify to the frugal diet of the Spartans. Cheremon the Stoic, a man of great eloquence, has a treaty on the life of the ancient priests of Egypt, who, he says, laid aside all worldly business and cares, and were ever in the temple, studying nature and regulating causes of the heavenly bodies. They never had intercourse with women. They never, from the time they began to devote themselves to the divine service, set eyes on their kindred and relations, nor even saw their children. They always abstained from flesh and wine on account of the lightheadedness and dizziness which a small quantity of food caused, and especially to avoid the stimulation of the lustful appetite engendered by this meat and drink. They seldom ate bread, and they might not load the stomach, but whenever they ate it, they mixed pounded hyssop with all they took, so that the action of its warmth might diminish the weight of the heavier food. They used no oil except vegetables, and then only in small quantities, to mitigate the unpalatable taste. What need, he says, to speak of the birds, 
when they avoided even eggs and milk as flesh. The one, they said, was liquid flesh. The other was blood, with the color changed. Their bed was made of palm leaves, called by them bioe. A sloping footstool laid on the ground served for a pillow, and they could go without food for two or three days. The humors of the body, which arise from sedentary habits, are dried up by reducing their diet to an extreme point. Josephus, in the second book of the history of the Jewish captivity, and in the eighteenth book of the Antiquities, and the two treaties against Appion, describes three sects of the Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essians. On the last of these he bestows wondrous praise, because they practiced perpetual abstinence from wives, wine, and flesh, and made a second nature of their daily fast. Philo, too, a man of great learning, published a treatise of his own on their mode of life. The Anthes of Sisychus and Asclepides of Cyrus, at the same time when Pygmalion ruled over the east, related that the eating of flesh was unknown. Eubulus, also, who wrote the history of the Mithras in many volumes, relates that among the Persians there are three kinds of magi, the first of whom, those of greatest learning and eloquence, take no food except meal and vegetables. At Eleusis, it is customary to abstain from fowls and fish and certain fruits. Bardisans, a Babylonian, divides the gymnosophists of India into two classes, the one called Brahmins, and the other Samanaeans, who are so rigidly self-restrained that they support themselves either with the fruit of trees which grow on the banks of the Ganges, or with common food of rice or flour. And when the king visits them, he is wont to adore them, and thinks the peace of his country depends upon their prayers. Euripides relates that the prophets of Jupiter in Crete, abstain not only from flesh, but also from cooked food. Xenocrates, the philosopher, writes that at Athens, out of all the laws of Cryptolemos, only three precepts remain in the temple of Ceres. Respect to parents, reverence for the gods, and abstinence from flesh. Orphus, in his song, utterly denounces the eating of flesh. I might speak of the frugality of Pythagoras, Socrates, and Antithenes to our confusion, but it would be tedious and re would require a work to itself. At all events, this is an antithesis who, after teaching rhetoric with renown on hearing Socrates, is related to have said to his disciples, Go and seek a master, for I have now found one. He immediately sold what he had, divided the proceeds among the people, and kept nothing for himself but a small cloak. Of his poverty and toil, Xenophon in the Symposium is a witness, and so are his countless treatises, some philosophical, some rhetorical. His most famous follower was the great Diogenes, who was mightier than King Alexander, and that he conquered human nature. For antithesis, would not take a single pupil, and when he could not get rid of the persistent Diogenes, he threatened him with a stick if he did not depart. The latter is said to have laid down his head and said, No stick will be hard enough to prevent me from following you. Satyrus, 
the biographer of illustrious men, relates that Diogenes, to guard himself against the cold, folded his cloak double. His script was his pantry. In one age, he carried a stick to support his feeble frame, and was commonly called Old Handsome Mouth, because to that very hour he begged and received food from anyone. His home was the gateways and city arcades. And when he wriggled into his tub, he would joke about his movable house that adopted itself to the seasons. And when the weather was cold, he used to turn the mouth of the tub towards the south, and summer towards the north, in whatever the direction of the sun might be. That way the palace of Diogenes was turned. He had a wooden dish for drinking, but on one occasion, seeing a boy drinking with the hollow of his hand he is related to have dashed the cup to the ground saying that he did not know nature provided a cup his virtue and self-restraint were proved even by his death it is said that now an old man he was on his way to the olympic games which used to be attended by a great concourse of people from all parts of greece then he was overtaken by fever and laid down upon the bank by the roadside. And when his friends wished to place him on a beast or in a conveyance, he did not assent, but crossing to the shade of a tree said, Go your way, I pray you, and see the games. This night will prove me either conquered or conqueror. If I conquer the fever, I shall go to the games. If the fever conquers me, I shall enter the unseen world. There through the night he lay gasping for breath, and did not, as we are told, so much die as banish the fever by death. I have cited the example of only one philosopher, so that our fine, erect, muscular athletes, who hardly make a shadow of a footmark in their swift passage, whose words are in their fists and the reasoning in their heels, who either know nothing of apostolic poverty and the hardness of the cross, or despise it, may at least imitate Gentile moderation. So far I have dealt with the arguments and examples of philosophers. Now it will pass on to the beginning of the human race, that is, to the sphere which belongs to us. I will first point out that Adam received a command in paradise to abstain from one tree, though he might eat the other fruit. The blessedness of paradise could not be consecrated without abstinence from food. So long as he fasted, he remained in paradise. He ate and was cast out. He was no sooner cast out than he married a wife. While he fasted in paradise, he continued a virgin. When he filled himself with food in the earth, he bound himself with the tie of marriage. And yet, though cast out, he did not immediately receive permission to eat flesh, but only the fruits of trees and the produce of the crops and the herbs and vegetables were given him for food. But even when an exile from paradise he might feed not upon the flesh which was not to be found in paradise, but upon grain and fruit like that of paradise. But afterwards, when God saw that the heart of man from his youth was set on wickedness continually, and that his spirit could not remain in them because they were flesh, he by the deluge passed sentence on the works of the flesh, and taking note of the extreme greediness of men, gave them liberty to eat flesh so that while understanding that all things were lawful for them, they might not greatly desire 
that which was allowed, lest they should turn a commandment into a cause of transgression. And yet even then fasting was in part commanded, foreseeing that some animals are called clean, some unclean, and the unclean animals were taken into Noah's ark by pairs, the clean in uneven numbers, and of course the eating of the unclean was forbidden, otherwise the term unclean would be its unmeaning. Fasting was in part consecrated. Restraints in the use of all was taught by the prohibition of some. Why did Esau lose his birthright? Was it not on account of food? And he could not atone with tears for the impatience of his appetite. The people of Israel cast out from Egypt and on their way to the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, longed for the flesh of Egypt and the melons and garlic, saying, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots. And again, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt for naught, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. We have not saved this manna to look to. They despised angels' food and sighed for the flesh of Egypt. Moses, for forty days and forty nights, fasted on Mount Sinai, and showed even then that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word of God. He says to the Lord, The people is full, and maketh idols. Moses, with empty stomach, received the law written with the finger of God. The people that ate and drank and rose up to play, fashioned a golden calf, and preferred an Egyptian ox to the majesty of the Lord. The toil of so many days perished through fullness of a single hour. Moses boldly broke the tables, for he knew that drunkards cannot hear the word of God. The beloved grew thick, waxed fat, and became sleek. He kicked and forsook the Lord which made him, and departed from the God of his salvation. Hence also it is enjoined in the same book of Deuteronomy, Beware, lest when thou hast eaten and drunk, and hast built goodly houses, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. In short, the people ate, and their heart grew thick, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. So the people, well-fed and fat-fleshed, could not bear the countenance of Moses, who fasted, for, to correctly render the Hebrew, it was furnished with horns through his converse with God. And it was not, as some think, to show that there is no difference between virginity and marriage, but to assert his sympathy with severe fasting, that our Lord and Savior, when he was transfigured on the mount, revealed Moses and Elias with himself in glory. Although Moses and Elias were properly types of the law and the prophets, as is clearly witnessed by the gospel, they spake of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. For the passion of our Lord is declared not by virginity or marriage, but by the law and the prophets. If, however, any persons contentiously maintain that by Moses is signified marriage, by Elias virginity, let me tell them briefly that Moses died and was buried, but Elias was carried off in a chariot of fire and entered on immortality before he approached death. 
but the second writing of the tables could not be effected without fasting what was lost by drunkenness was regained by abstinence a proof that by fasting we can return to paradise whence through fullness we have been expelled in exodus we read that the battle was fought against amalek while moses prayed and the whole people fasted until the evening joshua the son of nun bade sun and moon stand still and the victorious army prolonged its fast for more than a day saul as it is written in the first book of kings pronounced a curse on him who ate bread before the evening and until he had avenged himself upon his enemies so none of his people tasted any food and all they of the land took food and so binding was a solemn fast once it was proclaimed to the lord that jonathan to whom the victory was due was taken by lots and could not escape the charge of sinning in ignorance and his father's hand was raised against him and the prayers of the people scarce availed to save him elijah after the preparation of a forty days fast saw god on mount horeb and heard from him the words what dost thou hear elijah there is much more familiarity in this than in the where art thou adam of genesis the latter was intended to excite the fears of one who had fed and was lost the former was affectionately addressed to a fasting servant when the people were assembled in mizpah samuel proclaimed a fast and so strengthened them and thus made them prevail against the enemy the attack of the assyrians was repulsed and the might of sennacherib utterly crushed by the tears and sackcloth of king hezekiah and by his humbling himself with fasting so also the city of nineveh by fasting excited compassion and turned aside the threatening wrath of the lord and sodom and gomorrah might have appeased it had they been willing to repent and through the aid of fasting gained for themselves tears of repentance ahab the most impious of kings by fasting and wearing sackcloth succeeded in escaping the sentence of god and deferring the overthrow of his house to the days of his posterity hannah the wife of elkanah by fasting won the gift of a son at babylon the magicians came into peril every interpreter of dreams soothsayer and diviner was slain daniel and the three youths gained a good report by fasting and although they were fed on pulse they were fairer and wiser than they who ate the flesh from the king's table then it is written that daniel fasted for three weeks he ate no pleasant bread flesh and wine entered not his mouth he was not anointed with oil and the angel came to him saying daniel thou art worthy of compassion he who in the eyes of god was worthy of compassion afterwards was an object of terror to the lions in their den how fair a thing is that which propitiates god tames lions terrifies demons habakkuk although we do not find this in the hebrew scriptures was sent to him with a reaper's meal for by a week's abstinence he had merited so distinguished a server david when his son was in danger after his adultery made confession in ashes and with fasting he tells us that he ate ashes like bread and mingled his drink with weeping and that his knees became weak through fasting yet he had certainly heard from nathan the words the lord also hath put away thy sin 
Samson and Samuel drank neither wine nor strong drink, for they were children of promise, and conceived in abstinence and fasting. Aaron and the other priests, when about to enter the temple, refrained from all intoxicating drink, for fear they should die. Whence we learn that they die who minister in the church without sobriety, and hence it is a reproach against Israel. Ye gave my Nazarites wine to drink. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, commanded his sons to drink no wine forever. And when Jeremiah offered them wine to drink, and they of their own accord refused it, the Lord spake by the prophet, saying, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and Jonadab the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. On the threshold of the gospel appears Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the wife of one husband, and a woman who was always fasting. Long continued chastity and persistent fasting welcomed a virgin lord. His forerunner and herald John fed on locusts and wild honey, not on flesh, and the hermits of the desert and the monks in their cells at first used the same substance. But the Lord himself consecrated his baptism by a forty days fast, and he taught us the more violent devils cannot be overcome except by prayer and fasting. Cornelius the centurion was found worthy through almsgiving and frequent fasts to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit before baptism. The Apostle Paul, after speaking of hunger and thirst and his other labors, perils from robbers, shipwrecks, loneliness, enumerates frequent fasts, and he advises his disciple Timothy, who had a weak stomach and was subject to many infirmities, to drink wine in moderation. Drink no longer water, he says. The fact that he bids him no longer drink water shows that he had previously drunk water. The apostle would not have allowed this had not frequent infirmities and bodily pain demanded the concession. End of Book 2, Chapters 11 through 15